Good morning. Would you like to turn to Matthew 14? Matthew 14. We definitely have a watery theme this morning, don't we? And we continue it now. We've been looking at one or two of the questions, haven't we, that are asked. And this is another question that Jesus asks. And it comes in a story that you know very well. So we're in Matthew 14 and verse 22. Let me read it to you. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. That's a familiar story, isn't it, for all of us? It's full of all sorts of exciting things, though, isn't it? Um, one of the things that people often say is that the Gospels were made up by the church to sort of justify their adoration of Jesus. They were made up behind before uh, just as stories, and they made them and glossed them over. Well, here's a story that you would never have put in if you were truly making it up, would you? Because if you were making up a story like this, you would have had Jesus walking on the water and then the disciples seeing him and saying, my, it is the Lord. Look at him walking on the water or something like that. They would not have had him saying, it's a ghost, would you? Because that kind of undermines our principle, doesn't it? And it's stories like these that testify that the disciples who wrote these stories were writing down the real thing. Because it makes no sense to make the disciples look a little strange, perhaps a little daft. And here's another thing. If you ever... The wind is blowing the sea, so you end up with waves, don't you? Have you ever tried to visualise Jesus walking on the water? I guess when most of us do that, it's a flat calm, like ice. I mean, you can walk on water, it has to be ice first, doesn't it? before you can walk on water, but we can all do it. But Jesus is do it, here doing it, and it's not ice, it's waves. So I have just this whimsical picture of Jesus sort of surfboarding on his feet down the waves and up the other side. Or is he walking through them? I'm not sure. Is he remaining absolutely dry, or is he drenched by the spray that the wind is kicking up? Depends on your view of the kind of person Jesus is. As, because if you have a kind of romantic view of Jesus he will be there in his white cloak absolutely dry as anything kind of hovering above the water wouldn't he, untouched by it but I have a feeling he's actually enjoying himself, getting thoroughly wet and having a good old time walking up and down the waves 
in much the same way as you might go to Bexhill this afternoon or Eastbourne and, and walk along the beach, just enjoying the occasion. Doesn't seem to be too hard for him. So have you got that in your picture? And here's another thing. When you see, if you were to see Jesus walking on the water towards you in a boat in a storm, what would be your first request of him? What would be the first thing you said to him? It wouldn't be, can I do it too? Would it really? I doubt. Anyway, I mean, some of you would. Those of you like bungee jumping and uh, other high sports you have to get mega insurance for, I guess those of you might say, Lord, can I do it too? But it wouldn't be mine. I'd have said, Lord, can you just calm this sea because uh, it's a bit difficult to row in the water. But Peter comes out with this, which seems rather strange, doesn't it? Someone wrote a book saying, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Kind of snappy little title, isn't it? You need a big book for that sort of title, don't you? It goes on forever. I've never read it, but I can see what he's going on about. But the question comes, of course, when Peter sinks below the waves. He sees the wind, says Matthew. Actually, you can't see the wind because you can't see it, can you? He's talking about you seeing the effect of the wind on the waves. And uh, he starts to sink. He calls out for salvation. Jesus reaches out his hand, catches him, and then kind of rebukes him. Now, does that seem a bit tough? I mean, none of the other disciples got out of the boat. They're all still happy as sandboys in the boat, aren't they? So it's a bit hard of the Lord to say to the one man who put faith into action and got out of the boat to say, huh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I wish at times like this that you could actually hear what Jesus said, not only read what Jesus said, don't you? You get, I think, it wouldn't be a kind of cross way. But he does actually challenge him here. Why did you doubt? Well, Lord, um, would you like the uh, list in alphabetical order or will any order do? There's a lot of things here that make me scared. Um, but he doesn't get that reply either, does he? And they, the response is, truly, you are the Son of God. So here's a few thoughts for you this morning as we include this, we include this sort of watery experience to go with the other watery experiences we've been talking about this morning. And our title this morning could be, I suppose, this is what I've got across the title of my, I don't always say it, but... This is my working title. A disciple's life is not plain sailing. <laughs> especially, if, especially if he goes to Venice <laughs> for a holiday. It's not plain sailing. Or it might be plain sailing in the hotel and other places. Okay, here's the first thing then that you can draw from a story like this as you look at this sort of issue. That you have to face the fact that as a disciple of Jesus, you're going to have problems. Sometimes we can think of this communion, which I just love sharing, <coughs> as being a kind of, you know, as long as we've got everything right and everything's good, then we can enjoy communion and it's a wonderful moment together. But actually, it's to do with the rough and tumble of life, isn't it? When we think of the actual events that gave rise to this memorial service, it's actually a tough time. The Last Supper would have been fraught with emotion. The disciples... We often play them out as being dull-witted men, but actually they were pretty astute at different times, and they would have caught that something big was in the offing. Even the dullest of them would have done. And it would have been a very important moment, but they knew something was happening. And hard on this supper, it's all going to go pear-shaped. It's all going to unravel, and it's going to be brutal. 
So this reminds us not that Jesus is ten feet above you know, contradiction and is untouched by the world, but he was as touched by the world as you could possibly be. And this is about getting things sorted in the rough and tumble of life. Why are the disciples on the lake? Because Jesus told them to be there. Did you remember that at the beginning? He said, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. They are doing exactly what Jesus told them to do and they're doing it precisely in the way he told them to do it. And it still got them into trouble. It's very possible for us to imagine that when things go wrong, we are wrong. That the first thing we almost think about when things go wrong is that it's our fault. Well, that's probably not a bad consideration, but sometimes it's not going to be our fault. Here they are doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. And he therefore knows everything's going to happen and they're doing exactly the right thing, but the wind is against them. So the waves are against them and the wind's against them and they're rowing or something possibly or sailing, I don't know. But anyway, they're having difficulty doing the very thing Jesus told them to do. So being obedient to Jesus' instructions does not mean that you won't get into trouble. Trouble doesn't necessarily mean that you're on the wrong tack. It's lovely. I love hearing stories where people say we thought this was what God was going to want us to do, so we did it and everything fell into place. I love stories like that, don't you? Where, you know, this happened, that happened, the other happened. It all happened in a wonderful kind of falling cards trick and in and, and the end up it's beautiful and wonderful and the timing's great. But I think for every one of those delightful stories, most of us could come up with another story where you did exactly what you thought God wanted you to do, and then it all fell apart and unraveled. How many stories have you heard like that, where someone said, we really felt that this was what God wanted us to do? And doing it, it all went bad. We were praying for, we heard a story about, this is years ago, about a young couple, gave up their ordinary jobs, went off to Bible college to train, spent two years training in order to go out to uh, be missionaries in another country. They have little children, they learnt the language as well, so they had to stay much longer in the, this country as they trained themselves in spiritual terms and trained themselves in lang linguistic terms in order to go out to be missionaries in this needy country and uh, have never having been out there before. And uh, as they are coming into land on their very first journey out there to begin their lives as missionaries in this particular country, the plane crashes and all the family are killed. We don't like stories like that, do we? It kind of seems to unravel everything we know about God, doesn't it? I don't know what the answer to that particular question is, and I don't pretend to guess at it. But I'm just saying that actually doing what God wants us to do sometimes isn't plain sailing, and sometimes can get us into trouble. When we get into trouble, don't immediately assume it's because you got it wrong. Jesus said to his disciples, and this comes in John 16, in a section where he's actually encouraging them, he says this, in the world you will have trouble. <laughs> But take heart, I have overcome the world. So hang on close to me, he's saying. But he warns them. And the reason he warns them, because he doesn't want them 
the very first time they hit some problems, they think, oh my goodness, it's all gone wrong, it, we must be wrong, let's go back and start something else. He wants them to know that that's part of life, spiritual life. And Jesus' brother James, the next one down in the family, encourages us about it. He says this in his little letter, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. <laughs> Is this man a masochist or what? But he knows that actually trials of many kinds test our faith and the testing of our faith produces perseverance. So James says, don't turn aside from the problems and difficulties that life can throw at you, even as a Christian, because those very things, testing your faith as they do, can produce in you the kind of perseverance that can keep going. So that's just the first thought. Face the fact that as a disciple of Jesus, you will have problems. And I wonder if some of you are maybe going to face some of those this week. Well, here's a second thought then. Recognize your limitations within those problems. We have limitations. There are some things that we are responsible for. And here, the disciples are responsible for obeying what Jesus tells them to do. In the boat, lads, across the water, and I'll meet you on the other side. Okay? They're doing exactly what he's told them to do. It is always our responsibility to do what the Lord asks us to do. That comes in two forms, doesn't it? First of all, in the Word of God, we have the general revelation of God. And every time we read the Word of God, God will be helping us to understand the kind of thing he wants us to be. So we read the Word of God to give those general instructions. So I know it's not a question of, shall I be holy today or shall I be unholy today? What would you like, Lord? Well, I know what the answer is. Be holy because I am holy. So I don't have to ask the Lord that question. I already have the answer. Now, should I seek my my interests first today, Lord, or should I seek your interests first today? Well, I know the answer to that question. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So I don't have to ask God those specific questions. So the more I read the word of God, the more I understand the general instructions of the Lord, how to live this life. So I have an obligation to fulfill those. Help me, Lord, today to fulfill your word. But I also have to obey any specific instructions that I may get from time to time. And John gave us a lovely little illustration of God popping in a thought into a thought process. That was just an uplifting, encouraging one, but in exactly the same way God can give us directions, encouragement, and all manner of different other instructions. And my task is to respond to those. So Jesus saying to the disciples, in the boat, cross the lake, go to the other side. You won't find that anywhere in Scripture, apart from here. Because this was a word for them. So this isn't a word for you to get into a boat and then go across the channel, river. It isn't that, is it? It's for them at this moment in time. And we have to seek God's kingdom first and discover what he wants to do in any particular way, which is why we have prayer meetings for squeeze and things like that, to say, Lord, we have a structure. We know in general what you want us to do. Now we're asking, is there any special thing you want us to do? Any special way you want, you want us to do it? That's the purpose of it, and to ask for help in doing all those things. So that prayer meeting includes times when we say, Lord, whatever you want, that's what we want. That's the purpose for it. But having said that, there are some things over which we have no control 
whatsoever, however much we'd love to be in control. Mr. Poirot, moving things on the mantelpiece so they are exactly right. Likes to be in control, doesn't he? But there's something over which we have no control. Here's two. I have no control over what will happen as a result of my obedience. The disciples did exactly what the Lord said, but the wind still was against them. They didn't control the wind. They controlled the boat. But they had no idea how long it would take them to get across there. They're not in control of those things. They're in control of their own obedience, but that's about it. So we don't know what will happen as a result of our obedience. That's with others and with the Lord. So we can't control that, and nor should we seek to. We just seek to do whatever God wants. And the other thing I can't control is what is happening in the world around me. There's a lot happening in the world around us at the moment, isn't there? Leaves you feeling very insecure if you're not careful. But we're not in control of those things. So our task is simply to take responsibility for the things we are responsible for and leave other things over which we have no control to the Lord. So then, here's another thought then. Here's what we should do. Here's a thought that we sometimes don't believe. When Jesus was talking to the disciples in John, he said to them, it's better for you that I go than if I stay. And here's an example of that. Sometimes we wish we were like the disciples in that first century experience and think, well, if we'd been around in those days, it would have been easier. Well, here's an example, and it wasn't. You see, Jesus was either on the shore, up the mountain, or in the boat, but he couldn't be in two places at once, could he? And since he was on the shore, up the mountain, he couldn't be in the boat. But his promise to you is that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He can be in two places at once. In fact, he can be in two million places at once because by his spirit, he is everywhere. So we are better off than the disciples. Here at this precise moment, they are not with the Lord. But we would never be in that position, ever. That's the glory of the, of the New Testament, that we are in a better position now. There's never a moment when the Lord is not with them. But they are in that scenario. So as he comes, whatever fashion he's doing it, and they are overwhelmed because it's an experience beyond their experiences, the Lord is doing something he's never done before. Always give him room for that. Never confine the Lord to acting in ways that he's done before. And he's coming to them in a different way these days. And so he announces who he is. It's me. Don't be afraid. So Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me, tell me to come to you on the water. He's a man who just speaks before he thinks. He's just a man who wants to grow in faith. He comes in for hard press, Peter does, but I think most of us like him because he's a bit like us, isn't he? He gets things wrong, he gets things right. This is a wonderful affirmation of faith, isn't it? I want to be like you, Lord. I want to do what you're doing. I want to be where you are. This is wonderful. And before he realizes the implications of what he's asking, I think, he's out getting out of the boat. And by the way, how do you get out of a boat onto the lake? when it's rocking away like mad. It's not easy, actually, is it? And all the other disciples stopping him from doing it. Hey, young Peter, what are you doing? Get off, stand, sit down, or whatever. Are they arguing with him, or is he just getting out, and they're all amazed by that? Anyway, he gets out and does it, a man of faith. But you see, what he's doing, he's focusing on Jesus, isn't he? He thinks it will be safer to be with Jesus standing on the water than in the boat, which is extraordinary for a fisherman to talk about, isn't it? 
You'd have thought he would think being in the boat is safer. But he's actually focusing on the Lord. So when we get into difficulties like this, we have to focus our faith on Jesus, not our fear on the problem. Because that's what we do. When we're faced with trouble, we see the problem and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And our fear is all-consuming. Now, it's not going to go away simply because we focus on Jesus. Everything is still happening. There's still a boat with 11 disciples in it. The wind is still blowing. The waves are still crashing over the side of the boat. But the difference is that Peter knows he is safer with the Lord. And the other issues take their place. So when we focus our faith on the Lord rather than our fear on the problem, the problem goes to the periphery and we will one day be able to sort it. There was a time in Jesus' life when he was up the mountain with Peter, James and John and then he came down from the mountain and the other nine disciples had been approached by a father whose son was epileptic and possessed by an unclean spirit. You remember that little story? And Jesus says, oh, he says, he says you, you, can, you can do it. You could do it. Will you do it for me? And Jesus says, everything's possible for anyone who believes. And the father explodes, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Most of us are not pure, faithful people, nor pure, fearful people. Most of us are a mixture of the two. We have faith and fear. Not necessarily in equal amounts. Hopefully there's more folk, fear, faith than fear. I'm getting myself confused here. But most of us are a mixture like that. So when we focus on our problem, the problem becomes too big even for Jesus to sort out. So that's exactly what happened to Peter when he starts, takes his eyes off the Lord and starts looking around and seeing what he's actually doing. Something goes wrong. Now what's happening there then? Why does that happen? Why can he walk on the water when he's looking at Jesus and not walk on the water when he's not looking at Jesus? That's strange, isn't it? Because all things hold together in Jesus. He's not got miraculous shoes on, has he? I'm not being trite here. And it's not some clever trickery here. It's actually the moment his focus is off the Lord, everything falls apart. Not just the water, but everything falls apart. It's something to do with focus and center, isn't it? When God says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, he means, and that way your life will come together, have integrity. But if you seek your kingdom first, actually it's all going to fall apart. Isn't that right? We as a country have abandoned the faith of our fathers in large measure. Have you noticed what's happening? Everything is unraveling, isn't it? It doesn't matter which area of life you look at, it's all being unraveling because all things hold together in him, not in us. So, and when things happen, call out for help when it all goes wrong. I think one of the prayers that Jesus loves to answer is a simple one, help. Help. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to precede it by certain words and use certain words to close it. Peter just said, Lord, save me. You don't get much shorter than that. Help. That's all he's asking for. Help, Lord. I'm in danger. 
And he doesn't get to reach Jesus before Jesus got hold of him. The task for us, of course, as we come through this new week, and perhaps some of us are going to face difficulties and obstacles and problems that we hadn't anticipated, or some maybe that we do. We have to see where Jesus is in all of this, because he said he's never leaving us nor forsaking us. There won't be a moment when going or facing those problems, we'll be on our own, looking at our own. He will be with us. So he's looking for continuing faith. It's not just an act of faith that I say, Lord, I come to you and I'm grateful to have my sins forgiven and start this walk with you and as if that's the end of it. It's a continuing walk of faith. So my attempt this week will be to try to see where the Lord is in every situation. Helping me to see where he is so I may cooperate with him. And here's a question for you to finish with. Whose faith grew more in this incident, do you think? Peter's or the disciples in the boat? Do you know what? Peter is mentioned more times by name than all the other disciples put together. I think there's a clue there, isn't there? <clears throat> that for all his limitations, for all his brashness, for all his outrageous statements of disbelief and his amazingly wonderful statements of faith, Somehow or other, he's getting it in sort of bits and starts. He's a man who's not afraid to go for it, not afraid to have a go. And he becomes a very precious guy. He will dominate the first half of the book of Acts, and then it will be Paul. He's an important person, not because he's perfect, far from it. He gets things wrong right to the end. But he's not a guy who's afraid to have a go. Lord, if you're walking on water, I want to do it too. I want to be where you are. I want to be doing what you're doing. And he goes up and down. So perhaps this week, as you face issues that may come and grab you in the heel that you never knew were coming, or issues or scenarios that you uh, can see coming and they fill you with fear or trepidation, we're going to be praying in a moment that you will be able to see the Lord in that. Hold fast to him. Keep your focus on him so that you will be able to deal with the issues in his strength that he supplies as you go for it in him. Because if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Let me pray. Father, we've already spoken about the past, present and the future the only moment we know anything about is this moment. We don't know what the future holds for us, not even in this coming week. We have our diary entries. We have our work to do, Lord, but we are fully aware that things may surprise us this week. Delightfully, that would be good, but some may surprise us in a negative way too. Things may not work out as we had hoped. And without being just super spiritual about this, Lord, we want to be those who through those times too, can see you in the midst and hold fast to you through it all. That we will seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. That we will keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That it will be 
Father, our desire to focus on you. And in that way, that our faith may rise in you, that the testing of, of our faith may produce perseverance and pleasure to you. So we want to pray for each other, Father, that filled with your spirit, even as you have fed us this morning with yourself, you've given your life to us, now we give our lives to you, recognizing that full of your spirit, we can do what you call us to do. Fill us with that then, Father, as we head off into the week, full of joy and pleasure as we live to the praise of your glorious name. Amen.